Hey everyone, welcome back to the Leadership Locker. So I went down to Austin, Texas to do some client work and I always like to try and make the best out of my trips and maximize them. So I thought about who I knew in Austin and Tim Ferriss wasn't available. Just kidding, I have no idea if he would have even responded to me. But I knew someone who was available and his name is Javon JT McCormick. And JT is his nickname and you will hear about it in the podcast. He's a CEO of Scribe Media who has this just like unbelievable story of just an absolutely shitty upbringing that ended up teaching him so much, so young about business. Now, Scribe Media has the number two memoir of all time, and that is David Goggins Can't Hurt Me, second only to Michelle Obama. It's about five years old, and JT, or Javon, has scaled this thing. We sat in a conference room with him, looking at all the books. I mean, I literally feel like we were shooting the shit. But what can you expect to get out of this episode? You're gonna listen to what trauma can do to you, what perspective can give you, and how business can be conducted when you look at your team as a tribe and not employees. You're gonna hear and learn so much. I promise you that this is gonna be a fantastic use of your time. And this guy's personality, I'm telling you, it's incredibly contagious. I think he laughs like right as we started. It's, it's just like, you just want to be around someone who's just at peace with themselves like he is. So it's been long enough. Here we go. JT. I'm glad to be here. I have to start this podcast. <laughs> I have to start this podcast with what you wrote me a couple years ago. And, and it's actually extremely flattering. And I'll tell you how I almost fucked it up. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I was doing the, I was, I was being so typical. But here's what you wrote. This is the best way to start a podcast for me ever. You wrote, this is all caps. I don't need or want anything. Just a quick note to say thank you for all the great content and posts you produce. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for your service to our country. And I wrote back, this is the best message uh, I've received in the last week. I love the candidness, et cetera. And then for no reason uh, later, I'm like, let me just write this. I, on the other hand, will reach likely reach out sometime to work on a book I aspire to write. Please let me know if there's anything I could ever do for you. Some cheesy shit about like <laughs> whatever. But but I, I really appreciate that because we we definitely specialize in you know branding on LinkedIn and all this yeah. other stuff. And when you get a message like that, I'm like, I will absolutely read it because you made it clear you don't need or want anything. Well, you, you know this, Rich. How many messages do you get on LinkedIn where you connect with someone and three seconds later, yeah. there's an ask, there, there's an offer. And so I wanted to make it very clear. I, I don't need or want anything. I just appreciate the content that you yeah. put out. And that was that was 2019. Wow. Um, and uh, I forget what month it said, but... A lot has changed since then, but I, I appreciate it. And then I was just seeing you pop up a lot. And then for whatever reason, recently, I forget how your name came up. I'm like, I gotta reach. Oh, I was just like, we're gonna be in Austin again. I was like, who do I know in Austin? Because I interviewed Ryan Dice, uh, yeah. obviously our guys. And then I was like, let me let me talk to JT. It's been a while. So I do want to get into stuff. And I told you just uh, like five seconds ago. I don't usually prepare, but there's a couple things I read 
articles that you wrote on LinkedIn that I loved. And I'm not going to go into your history. I'm not, I don't want to be every other podcast. And let, <laughs> and let's just talk about Juvie and being homeless. Come on, you, mean, you don't want to talk about my, my black pimp father and yeah. 23 kids? Come yeah, on. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it could, it could come up, but... It's, I always know when I'm putting someone in a position to tell the same shit again, and I just don't like to do that. Nice. But here's what I do want to talk about, and we'll start with this. I got an MBA when I retired from the Marine Corps, and I, I didn't like being there at all. Um, I, I like to say I felt like an outsider. I felt like a pretender. I was doing it because I'm like, I, I am scared I'm not going to be marketable, Yeah. so I have to get this MBA. And because I was using my GI Bill, I burned through it because it was private. So I'm not necessarily this person who tells anyone or transitioning service members, like, you don't need to go. Right. But I definitely tell them, like, why don't you test some things out first? And the reason I'm bringing this up is here we are, here I am sitting with the CEO of a media company, and you didn't graduate high school. Um, <laughs> and I talked to Eliza before we got down here. I'm like, you know, I don't want to send the wrong message, but I, I also want to be very transparent about the fact that you can absolutely get to where you want to be without anything formal. And I wanted to get your take on yeah. how much you reflect on that at all and just like what, what you think. Uh, it's, so, so it's interesting. Here's, here's the best way that, that I'll put it. I've, I've got four kids, ages seven, five, three, and two. If they all want to go to college, I'm going to encourage it. Sure. And great, let, let go to college. You, you, you know, God willing, if you were to get accepted to Harvard Medical School because that's what you wanted to do, dad will be there to pay for it. However, if one of them said, dad, I don't want to go to college, I want to start a business. Hey, let, let's make that happen. And truth be told, I much rather take $50,000 and help one of my children start a business than take that $50,000 and, and send them to college. But if they want that experience and they want to go down the path of uh, getting their college degree, I, I'm going to support that. So if people want to get a degree, I'm all for it. The thing that's always intrigued me and puzzled me, though, I, I had the opportunity to speak at Georgetown University. Nice. And beautiful campus. So I went over to the admissions building and I wanted to know, okay, how much is a four-year degree at Georgetown University? It's like $155,000. Undergraduate? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, and then I wanted to see, okay, what's the what do you earn when you come out of college? And it was like $55,000, Yeah. And then uh, it said 10 years later, our earnings $110,000. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so here's the problem that I have. If you want a degree, you can go to Texas State, not knocking Texas State, or, or Southwest Middle Tennessee State to get your degree and not go into debt $200,000 to pull it off. I don't understand unless you want to go work on Wall Street, unless you want to go to medical school where, yeah, those credentials matter. I don't understand going to University of Texas, Stanford, Ivy League, for a liberal arts degree, I, I don't understand it. So put all that together, I personally don't find a degree necessary. Uh, so many people have a piece of paper and then they have a chip on their shoulder that, okay, I got this piece of paper, where's my corner office, my VP title, my Lexus and my 6,000 square foot house? I'm like, you went to school. And, 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 and I've caught a lot of flack for this, I don't care. If your parents are paying 100% of your college, 
that's nothing more than glorified high school. The only difference is mommy's not waking you up in the morning. That's the only difference. It's glorified high school. You don't have to work. You're not paying for anything. None of these bills are yours. All you got to do is go to class and sit in the library. Come on. That, well, I think the actual chip on the shoulder benefits the person who paid themselves through, you know, no name degree college. Yep. And they're just going to be like, let's go. Right. Like, I have something to prove. Like, you and your Stanford degree can shove it because I'm going to dominate in here, which is, is clearly exactly what you did. So we kind of talked without mentioning some, some of the specifics about a turbulent upbringing is the easiest way for me to kind of summarize it. And I'm not trying to do a disservice to it, of course, but a lot of craziness, uh, a lot of things to deal with, a lot of scars. But you still found the ability to learn outside of a formal institution. Yeah. And what was that like? And how did you leverage that to just be like, all right, game on? You know, Rich, I, I've recently started sharing this, this story. When I was nine years old, where I first got introduced to business, I was nine years old, one of those glorious weekends when my father just happened to follow through and pick me up for the weekend. And uh, we were out collecting money from prostitutes. I was nine. We're in this car, and I'm in the front seat, and we pull up to the first prostitute. She gives a stack of money. He cracks the window. She gives a stack of money through there. And man, even when I tell this story, I, I can smell the heater in the car. She gives a stack of money. She says, hey, can I come in? You know, I, I made my count. And he goes, oh, no, you're on a roll. You're doing great. He was so encouraging. You know, get, get back out there. Keep it going. And I was like, oh, okay. And so then we go to the next prostitute, and she's short. She puts her money through the window. And my dad lost his shit. Oh, wow. I can cuss on yours. This is yeah, great. Of course. Lost his shit. Get your ass back out there, bitch. Da, 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 da. I, and I was, I was sitting there like, oh, man. And then when we pulled off, it hit me. I said to myself, huh, I wonder if I was nicer to all of the prostitutes and let them keep part of the money. Would I have more money in volume because I would have more prostitutes? And that was my first I guess, thought into how do you scale? And I even took it a step further. I said, okay, ooh, I'm going to have competition. There's going to be a lot of pimps that are going to be mad at me because I'm going to take their women. Uh, but that was my first moment. And then at age 12, I remember, I'm, 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 I'm 49, man. Remember when you could, in, in the magazine, you could pull out the insert and say, bill me later. I, so I would hit bill me later, send it in, and you get two or three issues before they cut it off. I would pretend to be a president of a company. I didn't even know what a CEO was. So that, that wasn't, but I was the president of a company. What kind of company? I don't know, but I had business magazines and I was a president. So I, I feel that I'm incredibly blessed that I found my lane in, in business, but I've always been very observant and just paid attention to, to my surroundings and growing up the way I did, you had to. You never knew when that prostitute was going to sexually molest you. You never knew when the next ass beating was coming or when you had to try to find your next meal. So you were in, in chaos. You learn to put together structure, discipline, routine, consistency, because you have none of it. Now, I, here I am, married, four kids. Man, I love my wife. Love, I love coming home to the same woman, the same house, the consistency, knowing what, what is actually there, opening the refrigerator and there's food in there. I mean, to this day, I've, I've made some money and I, I'm blessed to, to have done so. Man, when I turn on the light switch and the lights come on, Oh, I still smile <laughs> just for the lights. 
Oh, look, the toilet flushes. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't need to make a grilled cheese on the radiator. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I get it. So, in my mind, after I hear that, like the word that comes to mind is empathy, which in my, you know, I think in this day and age, empathy is like a real big buzzword, but you literally used your mind to create this notional empathy for these prostitutes and to drive a business oriented kind of brain. And, and it grew. And you, like you just said, you started to win. But you also lost. Uh, yeah. You lost. And I wanted to talk about losing business or lo losing what you had and how that actually helps you end up winning. And this is incredibly important in, in my mind for veteran entrepreneurs and transitioning service members because you might have lost your identity when you come right. out. Or if you're an entrepreneur like I am, like this company could go underwater tomorrow. But I absolutely know I could learn a lot from that. So how did you shift the perspective and be like, this is actually going to allow me to win. And, and how, how much did you expect that if you're an entrepreneur? Oh, yeah, I didn't expect that at all. It, it's, um, so one of the most humbling moments for me, Rich, 2007, credit crisis had just started. Everything was going under. And I lost all my money, man. All of it. Broke. I, I tell people I was negative broke. I, I had to borrow money from my stepdad and my best friend to pay my rent. I remember one night going to the gas station and I waited till it was about 1030 at night and I had $10 and quarters in my hand and I walked in and I put it on the counter and I said, can I have $10 on number seven? And I remember walking back to the car, man, like, how did I do this to myself? How did I get back here again to being broke? And I went, went home that night, drove back to my, my little apartment and I remember I stood in the mirror and, and had an out loud conversation with, with myself, out loud. There was none of this look in the mirror and just think. It was a full-blown conversation of anger, frustration, love. But I remember looking at myself and saying, okay, you know what? You made a million dollars. You lost a million dollars. Who are you now? What type of man do you want to be? Because you have to admit, you've not been able to hold a relationship You've been a monster to women. And I had to look in the mirror and, and admit to myself, man, you're a lot like your dad. And I never wanted to be like my dad. And there I was, a lot like him. So I had to look in the mirror and, and say, okay, who do you want to be going forward? Because obviously you had a lot of money, but your character didn't change. So now what? And so then it was, okay, I've got to learn to have a better character. And I remember saying to myself, you've taught yourself how to come out of the hood. You've taught yourself how to make money. You've taught yourself how to conduct yourself in business. How do you teach yourself to have a better character? And that became the mission of, okay, I want to be a good person. And that was one of the most game-changing moments. That sounds so life. basic. Sound, sounds so basic, I want to be a man. good person. But it, it, was, it was so simple. And, and here's the damnedest thing. You want to have the, the real mind bender on this one. I went back to the person who I was a lot like that I didn't want to be like, my dad. And, that, and I'll share the story. When I was seven, eight years old, again, one of those glorious moments where my dad picked me up, we were at the grocery store. And a little girl walks by me and she goes, hi, Javon. My, my actual name's Javon. And I didn't say anything. I was shy. I put my head down. And, and Rich, man, I felt this massive blow to the back of my head. My face hit the ground. I, I get up. My nose is bleeding. My mouth's bleeding. And I got a forearm in my neck. And I'm up against the frozen food section. 
And my dad's like that far from my face. And he says, I don't care who it is. You say hello, show respect, and be kind to everyone. Now, pause there. Yes. I remember in the moment saying to myself, wait a minute, we just collected from prostitutes. <laughs> but the, that stuck with me. Man, I say hello to everyone. Everyone. I'm walking down the hall. I see someone, you know, most people look down. I still say hello. If, if I'm in the, the restroom and there's paper towels on, on the floor to where somebody didn't make it in the trash can, I bend over, I pick it up. What, am I too good to pick up three paper towels and, and put them in the, in the trash can? So I went back, oddly enough, to the person that taught me that lesson. I said, okay, I need to start there. I'm going to be kind and show respect and say hello to everyone. And I'm going to do that going forward. And then that became the journey of how do I become a better person? How do I make all this money back again? And, you know, I didn't get married until I was 40 to, to my wife. And this, this literally, literally is the first healthy relationship I've ever had, ever. Took me 40 years to get there, man. Uh, <laughs> it's really, really interesting. And I don't want to take up the podcast with anything about me. So we'll talk offline. But I mean, I had an epiphany at 38, you know, two years ago when I was living here. And I was a person that I was like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. And, and I think what I'm trying to convey here, and I think what you've conveyed also is that they're the underlyings of failure can really ground you in, in a different way. And then you will find that the person you think you have to be is absolutely the last person you have to yeah. be in order to succeed. So I appreciate that story. And that is, uh, trust me, when you just told me that about your father say, having to say hello, I was kind of like going cross-eyed for a second. Like, yeah. wait a second, he did, yeah. he said what? Well, and it's interesting you said that too about the, the person you, you had to be because man, I lived my whole life not being fully authentic. I didn't want you to know who I was. Yep. I didn't want you to know my dad was a pimp and I don't know where my last name comes from and my mother was an orphan and I got 22 half brothers and sisters. I didn't want you to know any of that. I can't tell you the amount of rooms I've been in where someone assumed I had an MBA because I could have a full-blown conversation about business. Exactly. <laughs> and, and if you thought I had one, hey, I had one. And, you know, when I lived in San Antonio, so many people, because of my skin color, thought I was Mexican. You thought I was Mexican? I was Mexican. You thought I was Puerto Rican? I'm Puerto Rican. I, I did anything I had to do to get to wherever I wanted to be. And it wasn't until I sat back and said, okay, but who am I? Mm -hmm. And that, that's when the game changed. It's just hitting home with me a lot because... What I call that is just not being truly comfortable in your own skin. And then yeah. when, when you get to that place, you just don't give, give a fuck anymore. You're like, uh, I, I couldn't be anything else because it's exhausting yeah. being anyone yes. else. And how I used to look at it was, I just feel like I'm going to be exposed. Like we were just talking, oh man, yes. Like we yes. were just talking at lunch. I'm like, I'm not a marketer. She's like, you didn't study marketing in the Marine Corps. <laughs> and then I went to Amazon and I'm like, okay, so now we have, you know, an agency and I'm not scared of the fact that yeah. I'm only two years in. I'm like, I got a lot of ground to make up and I will faster and better than the Stanford people and all these <laughs> other stuff. But I absolutely have to work hard on that not being exposed piece. Yes. So, oh man, you, oh, Rich, you nailed it. I can't tell you how many times I, I worried, okay, man, I, I was shitty in relationships. I was a monster, a beast. 
couldn't hold one, treated women like crap. Someone's going to find out uh, about my background. That I don't know where my last name. I constantly walked around with imposter syndrome, yeah. worried that I was going to be found Training. out. And now I'm just like, yes, sucked in relationships, lost all my money. Dad was a pimp. And, and, and here's a, a bad one for me, man. My, my dad was black. My, my mom's white. Man, being mixed race, black people didn't like me because I was half white. White people didn't like me because I was half black. So you had the identity thing going on. In my early 20s, I was trying to get on people's calendars. And I could not book an appointment. Could not get on people's calendars. And then finally, one guy got on the call with me. And he says to me, hey, how did you get a black first name and an Irish last name? And what the damnedest thing was, here I was in my early 20s, I didn't even know my last name was Irish, so I was focused on that. I'm like, oh, really? I didn't know that. But then when I hung up the call, I was like, oh, the black first name. And so my actual name is Javon Thomas McCormick. So I said, okay, I'm going to start going by JT. Rich, I'll be damned the following week. Started getting on people's calendars, and, and so the, the world opened up. And I always just wanted to be judged by my character and my work ethic. Was I, was I nice? Did I work hard? That's it. If you don't like the color of my skin, once you see me, you don't like the fact that I, I mix race, great. Catfish me, man. Right. Like, what's going on? But then, <laughs> does he work hard? Yes. And then, man, the protest happened this year or, or last year, 2020. And, man, I'm sitting back, Rich. I'm going to use some foul language here. Yeah. I saw some of the most bullshit status signaling that I had ever seen. We were uh, Blackout Tuesday. Me, we, us too. Look, we're in support of the movement. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You know, we're arguing over a syrup bottle. And then it came out. They said uh, there are only three black CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. I was like, interesting. So I was like, who are they? Looked it up. Marvin Ellison, Roger Ferguson, Kenneth Frazier. All three very ethnically ambiguous names. <laughs> and so I said to myself, wait a minute, where's the Javon? And so I did a piece, wrote it up, and I said, you know what? I'm going to start going by Javon now. Yeah. And I'm like, after all these years, I'm going to go by Javon. And, it, and it, for me, what it mainly was for, all those kids in those communities that I grew up in, with Laquanda, Ravante, Jamarcus, Martavius, Lucretia, with the goal that, you know what, one day you'll be able to work in corporate America and not just next to JT, but also with Javon. And, and that, that's why I did it. And then the other piece was kind of like, you know what? Shit, I made it out of there. I'm gonna go by Javon now. Hey everyone, quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you by Rich Cardona Media. If you don't know, now you know that Eliza spent over a decade in a publishing house and that this visit for her and I was incredible. And the reason is a lot of the people we work with are wanting to start a book, are in the middle of a book, or have written a book and are just kind of lost. Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to do it? How are they going to get reviews? How are they going to market? And that's why that's our newest offering that you need to know about. Okay, we have a few different options. But if you are interested in a 16-week launch for your book, if you are interested in a consultation for how to get everything in your brain onto paper, everything you need, we can do it. 
So email Eliza at E-L-I-Z-A at richcardonamedia.com. Let us know if we can help you. Back to the show. So let's talk about the hustle. Uh, I saw a few LinkedIn articles and I saw that it was painted on the wall. And I think it said yeah, the hustle. The hustle the was real. Yeah. But, and I hustle. You are one of the only other people I know who likes to get up at four. Like mm-hmm. I do it religiously. I mean, I, it's been for almost a, probably a year now. I love it. It's yeah. like a quiet time. You got kids. I got kids. It's yeah. like, that's, that's when the creativity <laughs> happens. And that's when, you know, you could hear a mouse run across the floor, right. you know, but so that, you know, you work out, you're diligent. I go to bed early. You prioritize sleep. Same thing. But there was a period that you attribute the hustle. Yeah. And I think you said you took in the first five years or whatever, you took like what, like 10 days of vacation or something, nothing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But you kind of reversed a little bit on this position of, of the hustle is real. And now as a CEO, you're looking at it in, from a different lens. What can you say about the hustle and the grind and all that for young entrepreneurs or ambitious entrepreneurs and, and how the hustle is effective, but how it could also be counterproductive. So it's interesting, man. <laughs> Again, I, I'm all about sharing my mistakes. One of the mistakes that I feel that I made, and, and it served me well, but it, it could have served me better to have had more sleep. Man, I was known for three, four hours of sleep, known for it, and still produced and, and drove results. What I figured out is, oh man, if I can get six, six and a half, I can actually produce better results. And that's usually, that's my sweet spot. Six, six and a half. Man, I remember the first time I slept six hours, I thought the world was about to end. I felt like it had passed me by and, and because I didn't operate in that area. But, you know, you, you hear some of these people you go, go to YouTube, whatever, you know, don't sleep. And, and you, you, if, if you sleep, you, you're, you're soft. And I'm like, come on. It's the fact that is God made your body that you need rest. And you will be better if you allow your body to have that rest. And that was a mistake on my part. I never told people to go three, four hours and sleep, yeah. but that's what I did. And that was a mistake because what I learned was, oh, I do this six, six and a half thing. I'm far more productive. I get a lot more accomplished and I actually can go a bit longer because my body's rested. So that that's the main piece. The second piece is, so many people have destroyed the word hustle. You've got people saying hustle and hustle the damn day in their life. And it, it's kind of like the word, for me, hustle is very personal. It's like the word pimp. In our country, in our society, people have glamorized the word pimp. Pimp my ride, pimp my apartment. Oh, he's a, he's a pimp. I'm like, wait a minute. My dad was a real pimp. And you all have taken a very, very negative word and glamorized it. And I felt that that's the same thing that happened with hustle. You've taken this word that you really don't know what it means to to hustle. You really don't know what it means to go without and have to hustle to put $2 together just to get by. And now you're saying the the hustle. You know, you've lived in a gated community in a 5,000 square foot house and you're talking about you, you, you hustled. 
I'm sorry. No, there were some things that actually went your way to to make that happen. So we took it down, painted. Actually, we took the whole wall down. But yeah, the hustle was not real. And and, and even people have criticized me for this. Oh, well, now you say that after it has served you. I say it and I own the mistake of, you know what? If I did not live by that mentality and I would have slept six hours, I actually believe I'd be a lot further in life. So it was a mistake, and I'm owning my mistake. When you were doing three hours and you felt like you're like, I'm crushing right now, like I'm, I'm a savage, no one could outwork me, yeah. and all this other stuff, what was it that made you do that? Did you feel like you could not sleep for that long because there was too much that needed your attention? There was someone that was going to pass you by and that you were going to be going 55 and someone was going to be 75 and you're going to look at it and be like, fuck. No, man, it, it had nothing to do with, with anybody else. It had everything to do with poverty. Man, I was trying to outrun poverty. I was trying to outrun never going back to that, never being hungry again, never going broke again. And I was, I was competing with myself, not, not anyone else. I was competing with me of, man, we're not going back to that shit. Yeah. And so, uh, no, I, I've never, I, I say this humbly, I've never worried about someone outworking me because I knew it was all I had was my work ethic. You know, so you, you may have a degree, you may have a two parent home, you may have all, all these advantages. Matter of fact, Rich, there's this awesome video. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this. They have these kids lined up on like this soccer field or something. And they say, if, if you come from a two parent home, take two steps forward. The one about privilege. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And great video. First of all, it, it, well, here's the thing though. I actually think it's a shitty video. <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you why, because I saw the faces of the black kids that were left back on the line. Mm-hmm. And you could see the, the look of disappointment in themselves. And I felt that look as well. Uh-huh. But here's the other thing that it, where it made me feel, I said to myself, okay, what would you have done if you were back on that line? And that kid's way up there. Man, I'm gonna walk your ass down like a fucking cheetah. <laughs> the Serengeti, because you're not gonna, I don't care that you started up there. Doesn't matter. I'm going to catch you. And it's even, like I said, half white, half black. I, people make the comment that it's unfair in life that sometimes people of color have to work a hundred times harder to achieve the same thing. And that may be true, but I learned a long time ago life ain't gonna be fair. But, Here's the mindset I go with. Okay, if I had to work 100 times harder than you, in my mind, that just means I'm 100 times better than you. I don't see it as a, as a negative. I don't see it as, well, that's not fair. Shit. Someone like you doesn't have time to dwell oh my God. on the Delta, right? Complete waste of time. I mean, Rich, you know, you probably heard this before. Uh, one of the greatest lessons, I probably got about 10 from my childhood, 10 greatest lessons. And one of them was when my mom and I were standing in the welfare line for our free monthly allotment of welfare. And there was an older white lady in front of us. And she looked down at me and she looked up at my mom. She looked down at me again and she spit in my mom's face. She called her a nigger lover. And I, I, I still Your laugh. white about I, I, mom. I, I, my white mom. I still laugh about this. What was sad for me is... No one came to my mom's assistance. My mom had to wipe the the spit from her face, wipe the tears from her eyes, and she had to stand there humiliated because she had to feed her mixed-race child. And nobody 
came to her assistance. Nobody came to help. No one told that white lady she was wrong. But the, the fucking lesson that came from that for me was, okay, I get it. Everyone's not going to like you. Own that shit right now. And for the rest of your life, do not spend your time trying to make everybody like you because it's never going to happen. And, and that was a, a beautiful lesson. And, and I do my best to always find the positive and the negative. And that was the positive that came from it. Now, the funny thing that came from it is to this day, I, I laugh about it because I think to myself, wait a minute, that old lady was in the same broke ass welfare line we were in. What made you any better than us? She needed something to feel yes. better. It's, it's insane. Yes. And, and so it's, it's funny in this day and age and all that we're going through as a country, you know, I, I've looked at this through this lens since I was a kid. I know what it's like to be evicted and, and the landlord to tell my mom, no nigger lovers can live here and put, puts all of our shit on the front lawn of the, of the public housing and we have nowhere to go. And I embrace those moments because shit, if I can get through that, man, I, I can kind of figure this business thing out. I, I agree. And I'm going to switch to a couple things here. And it's, it's patience, which is very much an undertone during this entire thing. Uh, <laughs> you've had patience, you've learned, you've processed, you've overcome. I mean, there's a lot of different things that have happened here. Now, one thing I used to say in the Marine Corps, or one thing we used to say was do say ratio. Like, what is your ratio of what you say to what you actually do? And then I, I kind of brought that to Amazon. I was like, what's your do say ratio at? You know, when someone came to me and was like, nice. you know, like, no one's recognizing me because everyone's competing for attention. I was like, what's your douce ratio? Is this shit or is it really good? So patience and a douce ratio come together. Now you learned this at a young age. I, I read a story about your uncle Bobby. Yeah. He got you some Air Jordans, right? Because you were not doing well in school. Yeah. You guys made an agreement and, you know, gentleman's handshake. And he came through on his promise because you did something. Now the douce ratio and having the patience to put in the work to get to that level, to get the reward, so to speak, obviously has transcended how you are as a business person. Yeah. So what would you say to people when it comes to their do-say ratio and, and the patience required to do it? If they're a new entrepreneur, they're dealing with clients, or maybe they have a product and they're dealing with customers, uh, what is your viewpoint on, on how much you actually have to follow through on exactly what it is that your promise is? Shit, everything, man. It, it, it's, uh, if you say it, do it. I mean, you, you nailed it. My Uncle Bobby was the one that, that taught me that lesson with the, the Air Jordans. Man, uh, man, Rich, you bastard, you brought some tears to my eyes. Um, <laughs> man, those Jordans were everything, man. And, and, and what was sad, Rich, is no one had ever followed through before. My, my dad would say he's coming to pick me up, wouldn't pick me up. My mom, she was doing her best, but there were times that, you know, she fell short. And, and so I never knew what it was like for someone to actually follow through on their word. And there was my Uncle Bobby. You know, he said, you get these grades and I'll get you those Air Jordans. And man, <laughs> that changed the, the whole game for me. So now, yeah, do what you say. I mean, it's such a low bar and no one does what they say they're, they're going to do. So me, I, I do my best to operate 100%, especially with my kids, because I know I remember waiting in that window for hours for uh, my dad to come get me and he didn't show. And so I never tell my kids, that, hey, dad, are you coming to my practice? I'll be there. I will be there. Dad, are we going to read the book tonight? Yes. Can we play Marvel? Yes. If you say it, do it. 
and then you just transfer it over into uh, business. Absolutely. And then my last question was, and we already kind of talked about it, but it's it's about identity. And the identity piece is this, like you, you wrote that article about taking Javon back. You were JT and JT is the one who became a CEO. JT is the one who was approached by Tucker Max. JT is the one who helped make one of the best books that's out, you know, uh, and, and all these things. But your identity it was an identity, and not, it's it's not fair to say that you were posturing, per se. But there is an element of kind of like keeping this at bay, the the Javon, so to speak, because you knew maybe it wouldn't be received well. Now, for people like me who come from where we come from, we lose our tribe, we lose our identity, we yeah. lose the rigidity, we lose everything, and it's kind of like culture shock out here. And I remember very very vividly right here in this town when I was working, I was like, who the fuck do I have to look up to? Yeah. It was absolute, and I don't want to say culture shock, it was a, a, a void of kind of leadership and someone who I aspired to be until I kind of adopted that personality. Well, I guess it's got to be me because I just threw everything down the toilet and now I got to build it up from scratch. So anyway, I want to talk to you about that. So having an identity and then kind of embracing who you actually are and what that could actually mean in terms of what you're able to do as a business owner or a CEO and president, like what has that done for you to be like, you know what? Like, I mean, all these things that you're talking about today. Years ago, you probably weren't talking about that so no. publicly. <laughs> so like, talk to me about that correlation and how it's allowed you to be even better in business in this company that continues to grow and you're getting referrals from major publishers. I mean, yeah. talk to me about that. You know, it's a hot topic right now or, or a buzzword, vulnerability. But I, I truly do feel that if people know you, they can connect with you. They see, it, it, it's why you know this on LinkedIn. The great majority of my posts are thing, mistakes that I've made. And this is the, the, the damnedest thing. If you and I go to any blog post, LinkedIn, whatever, we can find every list known to man of top five things that Jeff Bezos did to be successful, top 10 things Elon Musk did. Man, give me the damn mistake list, okay? I don't need your success list. Give me the mistake list. And you, you said something earlier. This, this is important for me. I personally have a belief that you only fail if you stop trying. And I learned this in my, my early 20s, the, the story, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, of Thomas Edison. When they asked him, hey, how does it feel to, to fail 10,000 times while you're trying to discover, uh, you know, light bulb, whatever. And he said, did I fail 10,000 times or did I find 10,000 ways it didn't work? And I thought to myself, oh, shit. You only fail if you actually stop trying. Now, I've got a lot of failed relationships because we broke up, we stopped trying. But man, I made a ton of mistakes as the first time president of a software company. I've made mistakes as a CEO. The key is to learn from the mistake, grow from the mistake, and damn sure don't repeat the mistake. So the identity piece was very critical be for me because I always felt that I had to operate on a level of perfection because I didn't have those background credentials. I didn't have the degree. I didn't have the pedigree of uh, family and, and who you know. And so I always operated or attempted to operate on a level of perfection, i.e. only sleeping three hours a, a day. And, and to take it a step further, man, we, we, I talk about how I learned from some of the most horrific things in, in my life. Operating at level perfection served me for a while, served me for a great while. And I'm going to share with you where it actually came from. And, and this, this goes with the, the identity question you asked me. 
man, from the ages of six, seven, eight years old, one of my father's prostitutes used to sexually molest me. Uh, she would force me to perform oral sex on her. And if I didn't do it right, she'd slap me in the face, punch me, punch me in the head and tell me to do it right. And I was like, man, I'm fucking eight. What the hell does do it right mean? And uh, shit, this grown ass men still don't know what do it right means. <laughs> so um, what stood out for me is at eight, I remember saying to myself, okay, I am never going to be in a position where I don't know what to do. And it was from that moment where I said, okay, if I'm doing something, I got to know exactly what I'm doing. And people used to joke with me and they was like, hey, there's no such thing as perfection. And I used to tell people, hey, I may never touch perfection, but damn it, I'm going to get close enough to smell it. And I would grind myself to operate at this level of, of perfection. And, and if someone dared, had a critique of me, had a, you know, oh, well, you made a mistake, man, it, it spiraled me, not in front of the person, but that night I went to bed and I was like, okay, tonight's only a two hour night because I got to be even better tomorrow. And that identity was a beast because all I had to hold on to was my work ethic and this, this ability to try to be perfect. So what I learned, though, is I may not be connected to a lot of business leaders, a lot of people that I aspire to, to look up to, whatever. But shit, man, this is a day and age of Google. I can read whatever I want. The information is free. And, and I pride myself on, on being observant, just paying attention. Why did they do that? Why did they make that decision? And I'm not afraid to ask why. Man, they, hey, thank God for Mrs. Dedek, my third grade teacher. She said there is no such thing as a dumb or stupid question. Man, I've been asking questions ever since. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually made a podcast not long ago about how vulnerability equals accessibility. Um, you know, it allows people to connect with you and, and kind of access parts of themselves, not necessarily you. They're like, okay, I, I could learn from that because it's relatable. They're wearing their heart on their sleeve. They're actually trying to help me through their stories. And like you said, the, the failures, I always look at it when I was deciding what I wanted to do as an entrepreneur. I'm like, wow, this is easy. And a lot of military people come out and say, I'm not sure what I want to do. I was like, it's more important to know what you don't want to do. Right. The process of elimination helps you be like, okay, like just reduce that yes. fraction until it's down to almost nothing. And then you go. But, um, but look, I want to say thank you. Where can everyone find you to, to read more, see more, all that good stuff? Oh, man, it's it, it, old guy talking here. LinkedIn, it's the only social media platform I, I, I'm on. Uh, I, I don't knock others for but whatever they do, but I just find social media as, as a whole to be a waste of time. I, I really don't give a damn what you ate for lunch and you're posting pictures of it. <laughs> well, man, I, Rich, I do not understand that. Like, and, and, and here's what happens, Rich, you, you roll with me. You and I go to lunch. You inevitably are going to take two to three pictures of that, of that food because the first one's never right. So you're going to take two to three pictures. Okay, so you take a picture. You find out which, okay, that one. Then you upload it to whatever platform. Then you set your phone down. So then you start eating. What are you going to do? You're going to look at your phone. How many likes did I get? God forbid you got a comment. Oh, no. I'll talk to you in five minutes. Enjoy <laughs> the moment enjoy the meal and it's a waste of time i don't give a fuck if you don't like what i'm eating or if you like what i'm eating and it pains me to see the amount of time people waste on social media 
when, when you could learn so much and teach yourself? Where, I mean, when's the, when's the last time, man, somebody said, I binge studied my 401k for the weekend? But I got a lot of people I know, man, we binge watched the Game of Thrones all weekend. And what'd you get for it on Monday? Not a goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, there's a YouTube channel of me. I don't manage it, but... Is it JT or Scribe? It's Javon McCormick. Oh, got it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's Javon McCormick. It's a viral video of there where I went back and met my ninth grade English teacher. And when I went back to, to Dayton, Ohio, and I got to, to speak because I paid the bill of my birth. So the city, the hospital system I was born into as a welfare baby brought me back to speak. And that, that man... Insane. Wow. Insane. So there's a, a video of that on there. So yeah, uh, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube channel, uh, Javon McCormick, uh, and then scribemedia.com are all the places. All right. Well, thank you so much. My for, man Rich. Uh, yes, thank you. And we'll obviously get you some clips so you can see all this stuff. And we'll see you next time. Hey, man, I don't need or want anything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed that. If not, then uh, I'm not sure what else I could do. Except blame JT, I'll blame JT. <laughs> so look, that was fantastic, I loved it. Uh, I cannot wait to see him again. Obviously, as you can imagine, once we were done recording, we talked forever and ever and ever. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate meeting people like that and people who are able to just come onto the podcast and just give it to you straight and, and help. Okay, like if you're a transitioning service member or small business owner, if you're a veteran entrepreneur, whatever it may be, of course, these types of guests are going to help you out, which is why I always ask that you can rate and review the podcast if you haven't already. You know, the rating and the review is really, you know, it's a short amount of time for a good investment into helping other people get the same takeaways you did by listening. And that's all I care about. I don't monetize off this. I love to do this and I would love your support in allowing me to continue to do so. And that is by taking the time, taking the time to let people know what you think about it. So thanks again. We'll see you next week.